Happy Halloween, everybody. This is Chris, and uh, welcome to the uh, surprise seventh episode of the Sandman Universe Gatherum. This is something I've been uh, keeping in my back pocket for just such an occasion as this. Um, For the better part of two years now, uh, these have been sitting on my hard drive, these four segments that we're going to cover today, along with uh, several others that uh, I'll hopefully be getting around to compiling and releasing in due time. But, uh... For folks newer to the channel, or with uh, shorter memories, I suppose, uh, Reggie and I would cover the Sandman Universe books over at Weird Science DC Comics Podcast, and uh, a little bit after they appear there, we compile them here on the channel, and I figured, hey, it's Halloween, and uh, in the spirit of that season, maybe we'll dip into some dark, or darkish comics, I suppose. So uh, we've got four segments today to, uh, to get to. And the first one, we're going to be talking about Books of Magic, number six. And that originally aired on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast, episode number 221, on March 31st of 2019. From there, we go to the Dreaming, number eight. And that was on episode 222 of the Weird Science Show, which aired on April 7th, 2019. Then, House of Whispers, number eight. That was on episode 223 of Weird Science came out on April 14th, 2019, and then we'll wrap it up with Lucifer number 7, and that was Weird Science episode 224, which hit on April 21st of 2019. I hope you all enjoy this uh, little, uh, you know, trip into the past here. Um, It was nice, it was challenging and and nice for me to uh, listen to them again as I was compiling them for uh, for this outing, but I hope you all enjoy it. I will link to the other six episodes of this program, or of this playlist, I suppose, on uh, in the show notes. So if anybody wants to start with the first episode of the Sandman Universe Gathering and work their way through, um, they'll be there for you. It'll be easier to do. Uh, there should only be one more episode of this program following this, with uh, the audio that I have available to me. But... I hope everyone out there and their families have a safe and healthy Halloween during this very, very strange year. And thank you all so much for checking out this episode. I will uh, talk to you again real soon. See ya. Welcome back 
to the Sam and Universe segment on the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we have one book which closes a the initial arc of what series? That would be Books of Magic, and it is issue number six. The story is called A Twist in the Narrative by Cat Howard, Tom Fowler, Jordan Boyd, and Todd Klein. Now, uh, when we left Tim, he was still in the dreaming, trying to find a way out. Mm-hmm. But here we open with Tim at his house, getting ready to leave for school. I guess he woke so, up. Yeah. yeah, so we're not sure how he got out of the dreaming, but I'm really glad he did because I didn't I didn't need 22 pages of him trying. Yeah, uh, you know, we, we could just take it. I mean, honestly, I could just take it for granted that he woke up or he woke up is fine. He slipped yeah. out. That's fine. Yeah, because I was afraid with the with the track record this book has. It's true. Uh, we could have had 22 pages of him running around the dreaming. Uh, glad <laughs> we did not. Now, Mister Hunter, his uh, one armed father, he asks where he's headed. And Tim gets kind of snotty with him. He's yeah. like, he's like, I'm going to school. What do you, you know, it's all I'm allowed to do. I'm going to school. Uh, so outside, Tim runs into his owl, Yo-Yo, and together they head towards school by way of that park that Hetty hangs out in. Mm-hmm. Now, Tim asks her if she would mind terribly if Yo-Yo hangs out with her birds today. And uh, she says, don't ask me. Let's ask the birds. And the birds agree that it would be a great idea. That's nice. Isn't it? Uh, Tim finally arrives at school, and the place is just crawling with cops. Now, Tim weaves his way through the crowd and toward his locker, where he runs into that ass-white bully who I I don't think has a name yet. I don't believe that's true, yeah. And I I did kind of flip back through older scripts. We never named him before, so... Never named him, yeah. Now, uh, he is is pleased as punch, and he gleefully informs Tim that his little girlfriend has been kidnapped. Or maybe she disappeared just like magic because, you know, Tim would know nothing about that. Wink, 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 wink. <laughs> now, uh, the asswipe hushes up real quick when Dr. Rose shows up. Yeah, she's got his number. Uh, in class, mm-hmm. Dr. Rose talks a bit about that missing girl, suggests that everyone continue as usual for now. After class, she asks Tim to join her in her office, and she reams him out about being away. He tells her all about being in the dreaming and meeting that new dream, and she assures him that the moth baby is not the new dream. Or Morpheus, however you want to say it, folks. I know it's confusing, but that's how it is. Uh, She then directs him to a scrying dish on her desk. It's basically a shallow, water-filled platter, which I guess does the job, and she claims it will help him see. Uh, Before he can, though, another student bursts into the office to tell Rose that a detective would like to see her in the library. And so she leaves Tim alone with his dish of water. Yes, and he looks into it, and nothing happens. Uh So then he wields that magic screwdriver thing, and he commands it to tell him where she is. And the, the bubbling water just parts, and we see the locker area of the school. And uh, what we can see uh, as folks present there is that creepy librarian from a couple issues back, and he's holding a book under his arm. Mm. You know, Tim doesn't know everything that we readers do, so he doesn't make any kind of connection here. He just thinks the scrying dish is showing him random things. Then the water begins to bubble again, and when it parts, he can see his mother's face in the platter. Uh, he's then interrupted by a weak voice calling his name. It's the voice of Mr. Brisby. That's the dead teacher from uh, three issues ago mm-hmm. uh, who was deaded by Dr. Rose. He follows that voice to something that looks sort of like a hat box, and inside of it is a skull. So it's more of a skull box mm-hmm. uh, with a third eye of sorts painted on its forehead. The skull spills the beans that Rose killed him and claims that she did so to stop him from helping Tim. 
He tells Tim to return to the place where he almost found his mother, and that was the alleyway where he fried all those homeless or cloaked people that one night. That was at the end of the first issue, I think. Right? I think so. Uh, I think very so. early, a long, long time ago. It's when he first, <laughs> first like was wielding the magic. Yeah, that's when it happened. Yep. Now, uh, Doctor Rose storms back in, and then Tim presents her with the skull. He's like, "Hey, you want to tell me about this?" And she cops to killing Brisby, and she claims that she only did so in order to protect. Tim, because, you know, Brisby is a lying liar who lies oh, all the time. Good enough, then. Good enough, yeah. That's, yeah, let the punishment fit the crime. <laughs> now, uh, Rose then hands over Ellie's headband, which she found in the library. She claims that it was hidden by magic, apparently. Now, Rose suggests that Ellie is still alive and that she was only taken in order to hurt Tim. She then tells him she may have found a way for Tim to find his mother. And she makes a map appear in the scrying dish, which uh, you know, kind of goes against what the skull told him just moments ago. Mm-hmm. Now, Rose refers to Brisby as a member of the Cold Flame, which is an organization dedicated to evil. So, uh, you know, I guess it's a good thing he's dead. Sure. Uh, now, if only we can get his skull to shut up, I guess. Uh, <laughs> now, Rose tells Tim that they can look for both Ellie and his mother. However, he needs to choose the order in which they do so. And since her protection spell is starting to fade, he needs to do so quickly. Now, he chooses Ellie, since she was taken against her will while his mother actually chose to leave. And uh, she's like, okay, pack up and we'll go. And before they do go, Tim heads back to his house in order to put his father into a trance. Yeah, which we saw that he could do in the second issue when he he talked about convincing him to buy him a bunch of... uh... Turns in dragons toys, or maybe I'm mixing. Yeah, the little figurines there. or something. Figurines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know, it looks like something's about to kick off. To me, this felt like the end of an arc, at least in the beginning of a new, like a bridge, a yeah. bridge maybe to something. But I'm not sure how they're they're really chopping these up. Like we're more trained to believe that this is where it should end. <laughs> this and, is it. Yep. Uh, that is that is a training that. Uh, uh, we should, or I should endeavor to break, uh, but what did you think of this one overall? Um, I thought this was the strongest issue, maybe the strongest issue yet, mm-hmm. uh, just for the fact that things happen and we were, we don't get answers really, but we're getting, we're getting breadcrumbs now yeah. where, uh, you know, we, we never know how long these series are going to last. You know, this could go a hundred issues. We could, we could find out it's being canceled after 10. I mean, we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's nice that we're actually getting a little bit of momentum on finding his mother, because I don't know if that's going to be the overarching, you know, the overarching plot, the entire volume. Right. Like, is that always going to be kind of bubbling in the background while he's doing other stuff? But uh, I, I got to say, like, we're six issues in, and it's nice that we're getting a little bit of momentum on that instead of just be like, oh, your mom, eh, we'll get to that. Well, we're actually getting people who know, or Rose, is, she knows something, at least. Whether it's going to be an overarching thing that's going to last over, you know, possibly the entire length years, of the series, yeah. years, or whether it's going to be something that's going to be uh, done in one story, it's good to get to it now. You're right. Uh, you yeah. know, I'd, I'd hate to see a lot of more muddling around and... Uh, at least a mention of it, you know. Let's, you know, sure. <laughs> let it pop in now and again. Let let a shimmering vision of his mother appear now and now and again to give us uh, an idea that that's still lurking in the background as a main story. Uh, yeah. I I enjoyed this a lot. I felt like it did kind of like like you say, click some tumblers into place. Uh, I was glad to see sort of like uh, it, it's been unclear to me of which way we should go with Rose Walker. Mm-hmm. This pretty much. Put me, put her on the. I don't really trust you all the way side. You know what I mean? Like you're definitely gonna. Uh, not that. Not that I, she was totally trustworthy, but it was. Uh, you know, we needed a signal, 
and I think we got it in this issue with uh, the yeah. whole thing with Brisby and and of course you know I love that magic stuff the all the all the magic-y scenes uh, that's the kind of thing I can't get enough of my problem of course what do you you know you know what it is Chris <laughs> is the number of issues it took to get here I don't think it was yes. necessary to play it out that long I think this could have lost too easily uh, and we would have had a nice, more compact, full, and not even that compact of a story, frankly. It would it, it would still been loose. It yeah. still would have been pretty loose, I think. You still would have had, you know, seeds of him going to class and, you know, uh, more or less just living his life just to show you that uh, there is a mundanity to it uh, with the mm-hmm. magic. But I can't deny that it's it's definitely holds my interest, and I like Tim Hunter as a character a lot, and sure. I, wa- I want to see him succeed and you know, develop his magic, and uh, that's a good thing to want to come back to read a comic. Uh, Absolutely. You know, that, that's, that's really what the name of the game is. So, uh, you know, I, I, I like this, and I think this is probably, oh, I don't know, my second favorite series of the uh, Sandman universe after The Dreaming. I would definitely say this is the other book that I feel I, I look forward to uh, the most. What'd you give this one on the site? I gave it a 10. No, no, I gave it an Whoa. 8 out of 10. Yeah, uh, I would only drop it half a point for those reasons I mentioned, but as far as uh, comic quality, and I, I think you could say this for the Sandman universe, story notwithstanding, production values as far as, you know, the art, plotting, everything, they are really high, you know what I mean? Like this Solid, yeah. They're really solid, uh, really well done overall. Uh, I think, you know, obviously some are better than others, but, you know, well done. Sure. So you're, you're not getting a uh, bunch of nine-panel grids and uh, the <laughs> splash pages for your four bucks or whatever it is or five bucks. But, uh, you, know, at, you know, at the same time, some of these, some of these stories, they, they suffer from a lot of the things that all comics do, which is decompression and, uh, yeah, kind of like middling around. So, yeah, I would go 7.5 out of 10. But this is, a you know, if this is a world that you like, uh, if you're liking the dreaming, I assume the dreaming is the most popular book. I would uh, assume so. Give give this one a look. It's not it's not so tied in that you have to, but I, you know I would recommend this to people that are of that bent to like this sure. kind of. I think they would dig it. Esoteric fair, whatever you want to call it. Maybe wait for that trade though. I would definitely wait for the <laughs> trade. That's absolutely true. Yeah, it, I, as a matter of fact. I really always I feel like a broken record. I think this will read nicely as a trade. Uh, oh, probably. Yeah, we can... won't notice the because it's only when we're reading a month to month that it's right. like we can we can sit here and we're writing about it and we're talking about it and it's like it's like I have nothing to say. There's nothing to say because <laughs> like our our little bullet point scripts here for the last couple of issues or the or what was it issue three and four we didn't even break a page. Yeah, you didn't even go over a page. It was really really tight. Which is just yeah, it's just <laughs> he went to school, he went home, he went to an assembly, he went uh, home. He met an owl. He put toys together. Yeah, he met an owl. <laughs> and and the and the, uh, the the lady gave him a yo-yo or a fidget spinner or something. It's just what is this? Yeah, it's 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 taken a while to come together to coalesce, and it could have happened just a little bit faster, I think, uh, or Absolutely. a little bit more more. Uh, Compressed, but I think that you know, still quality comic, and uh, again, mm-hmm. in trade is the way to go. With I would say that for pretty much everything we're reading in comics days, today, yeah. actually. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if only if you're crazy like us, do you want to mess with single <laughs> issues? Uh, next week, though, I do know for a fact that we have the Dreamin' number eight, so mm-hmm. we will come back to talk about that one that will continue the story of that Rose, Rose Walker, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess I really, actually, I'm talking out of turn, I haven't looked at it yet, so I have no idea what will happen, but we'll let you know 
when we see it. But uh, I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? No, that'll do it. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it dreamy. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. to the Sandman Universe segment on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we have one. The flagship book is back for you today. It is The Dreaming Number 8. Story is called Love Part 2 by Simon Spurrier, Abigail Larson, and Quentin Winter. So, if you recall, over at uh, Sussex County Hospital, Rose Walker is still bothering a bedridden Lucian. Uh, A nurse approves of Rose keeping this poor man company, though she admits that they don't even know what's wrong with him. He's just sort of listless and uh, not moving a lot. Rose says that sometimes he says things, and he looks funny to her on occasion. A wide shot shows us that Lucian is oppressed by a giant translucent raven. So this, I would assume, is what Rose can sort of see, because she's... Connected to the uh, weirdness somehow, you know, sure. she has a little little sense of it. Uh, the nurse tells Rose not to smoke and leaves. So now we get back to that story that Rose was telling Lucian in the last issue. Uh, we, we finished off where Ivy had tattooed Daniel Dream, and uh, that is what I call him, by the way. That's a deal with that. And uh, <laughs> that's, by the way, that's what made all the infirm people around the world scream. I thought that had happened in the present. Okay. That was actually something that had happened in the past that she was talking Mm -hmm. about. Uh, A week passes, the world feeling heavy and morose, and apparently the patients are screaming the whole time, which to me would be much more of a a news item. You'd think that you'd hear about that. You'd think that would come up somewhere, but uh, Rose decides it's time to tell Ivy that her grandmother has cancer now, that the world sucks, and uh, Ivy is so distracted by her goth fiancé that she barely registers it. She tells Rose that Daniel was suspicious after being tattooed, and he asked her where she learned the shape that she used on him. Ivy says that it's from nowhere, just something she thinks looks pretty. Daniel doesn't get mad or upset. His affectation becomes totally flat. But Ivy is still hurt by this, understandably so, and uh, seemed that the world hurt too. And you know what happened, Chris? Hmm. A herd of deer ran into traffic. Yes. A woman screamed at a pile of baby's shoes. And now, Daniel's breath tastes like burning plastic when he's romancing with Ivy. That's very unpleasant. Oh, that's too bad. Now, they still loved each other, and they still planned to get married. However, the relationship was no longer perfect, uh, says Ivy. Uh, Ivy and Daniel's relationship limps along for a few weeks. Uh, They even have a double date with Rose and some guy. Some guy with a ponytail. It's like, who the hell is this jerk? Some fella. Uh, But now Ivy and Daniel are playing passive-aggressive games with each other. Uh, Wherever they go, things, you know, start to suck. We get to see a puppet show burning down. 
Uh, weird, unseeable creatures start washing up on the shore, and children howl like coyotes. Gosh, things are just going kablooey wherever they wherever yeah. they walk. Ivy asks Daniel what is wrong, and he curtly tells her to stop asking. And then mm-hmm. Daniel apologizes and says he's got to get things straight, and that nothing is wrong, really. Nothing's wrong. One night after Rose had spent 36 hours at her mother's bedside, Daniel's sister-slash-brother Desire shows up. This is the person from last issue that sort of showed that Ivy had been manipulated into tattooing this sigil on his on a dream's back. Uh, Desire leads Rose to the basement of the Forney Rig. That's that inn that they actually had that uh, double date in that we just talked about, uh, That where Rose met D- Daniel first. Uh, this is where several people in robes are in a circle performing some rite that stops Daniel from contacting or being contacted by his siblings. Uh, these are the folks that caused Ivy to tattoo that strange symbol on Daniel, like I said, and Rose observes them concocting a spell made of some really rare items. Like Savage Dragon 200? Even rarer than that, if you can believe it. I know that's not I, that I, can't it. I can't believe it. <laughs> uh, the folks in robes compel Ivy to call Daniel to talk it out over some, quote, dumb tea. Uh, she's on the roof of the hospital, so that's where they meet up. Suddenly, Rose snaps out of it and runs up the stairs to the roof, just in time to smack that cup of tea from Ivy's hand. Daniel, however, takes a sip, and it makes him start puking black stuff, and then his head goes on fire. Plus, his body just starts shooting rainbows. And now Daniel is pissed off. He blames Ivy for everything, for breaking him. And as he does, things around him begin getting spooky. A man, walk, a man walking his dog starts eating his own finger. Two guys, must, two guys' heads spontaneously light on fire. Well, that must be going around or something. I think so. Some kind I of should flu. be shot for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the sea itself screams. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Daniel breaks it off with Ivy, and she is distraught. Ivy runs away, and Rose stays there to slap Daniel in the face. She tells Daniel to stop having a tantrum and realize that Ivy is being controlled. She says something's happening over at Forney Rig, and Daniel just kind of Teleports right over there, just kind of whisks into his own cloak and vanishes. Mm. Uh, back in the present, Rose admits that she should have gone after her daughter, but she hightailed it over to Forney Rig instead. Daniel, having gotten there earlier, had destroyed the place and driven all the conspirators insane. Uh, he says that things are messed up, but when Rose asks for clarification, Daniel replies, nothing is wrong. Rose realizes that the sigil tattooed on his back keeps Daniel from revealing anything troubling to people. And Daniel says that he must go to her, and then he whooshes away. That her is Ivy, who is on a beach, under a pier, having overdosed on pills. She's in a coma now, and Daniel visits her in the ambulance while she's on the way to the hospital. Now Rose had two family members in comas to visit, so that was kind of convenient. That's it's nice. convenient, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you want it all to happen at once, get it over. That's right. Uh, <laughs> then, weeks later, Daniel returns. He tells her who he really is and why he was with Ivy. You know, Daniel wanted to feel love is all, basically. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Now, Daniel also reveals that Rose was his babysitter years ago and uh, that she is a kind person. When Rose points out that her kindness killed her daughter, Daniel points out that she isn't actually dead. She's only sleeping. Then Daniel takes Ivy in his arms and tells Rose not to follow because he has her now. When he disappears, Rose is suddenly on the beach, having found Lucian all battered and broken, you know, from his ordeal in that last arc yeah. uh, 
in the dreaming. That's right. Or between, remember it was like between portals. Yeah, or he was in like that, that. Him and uh, what's her face were uh, Dora. Yeah. You know, she, she got he got dumped and fell, and this is where this is kind of bringing us in full circle in a way. So in the present, Rose asks Lucian if he can help. If she knows Daniel and could tell her how to reach him, and Lucian replies, "Who are you?" Damn, <laughs> that's cold, bro. Cold blooded. If she just told you like a five-hour story too. <laughs> Uh, Rose then excuses herself to smoke a cigarette And outside uh, This I didn't really get Chris She's accosted by a weird orderly also smoking Do you know this person? Did this person I bring a don't bell? know Yeah, she just Was she the same one who was talking to her at the beginning of the issue? I didn't think so But you couldn't you I didn't either yeah. uh, I couldn't tell Maybe that was the implication though Maybe uh, I don't know Anyway this orderly uh, asks Rose actually why She doesn't ask why her hair is always wet and why she wears a high collar all the time, and she appears to have gills on her neck. Yeah, and uh, really, really sharp fingernails or something. I, I, I got weird. the impression she's like an Atlantean or a mermaid or something. That's I what it sounds like, huh? Uh, that, that that was the broad implication, but uh, whoever she is, she says that Rose is one to look into strange occurrences because she desperately wants to understand, but she can't. Then the woman says that Lucian will be leaving soon. She expects his kind don't last long in this world. And then all of a sudden, Rose finds herself inside on the same floor as her mother, and she hears her mom calling to her from her hospital bed. She tells her mom to put a pin in it and walks briskly over to Lucian's room. Uh, the woman with the wet hair is there taunting Rose. She says Rose doesn't want to know the answers to things because she's immortal. And an immortal knows that lives and loves end, but mysteries are forever. Uh, unless they're solved, then. Yeah. Then they then cease they to be away. mysteries, yeah. and then they're known things. Uh, and this is why she passed Daniel on to her daughter Ivy, because she would rather that than having loved and lost. At this, Rose's hand falters from the handle of Lucien's door, and she lets go, saying, Coming, Mom! And Rose is at her mom's bedside, telling her that she's not alone. Meanwhile, the wet-haired woman has flung open the door of Lucien's room for us to see, and he is gone, his bed strewn with giant black feathers, and his window totally open. Mm-hmm. Burr, burr, burr. And uh, I was just informed This is the conclusion of Love Parts 1 and 2, right? The next one starts a new arc, so Yep, looks uh, like it Which is, you know, this is a complete story I thought there might be a little more, but This is complete, I, essentially I think what This does a few things besides telling us What Daniel was kind of up to For a lot of, you know, for the whole first arc For the and, interim, yeah Yeah, and like where he's been, and also Tells us that Lucian's coming back in some fashion. Something's going on there. You know, obviously, we're not done with the characters. We thought he was dead. We did. Uh, the way they left him, was, we were like, I guess that's it for Lucian. Goodbye. You know, <laughs> uh, it was, he was like, he wasn't even in like a really in a dimension. He was like between dimensions. Yeah. Um, so, what was your thoughts on this, Chris? Well, I like this one a lot better than last issue. Um, since I, I didn't know who Rose Walker was, I didn't have any reason to care about her. But here, um, what they did tell us last issue stuck with me enough to where it made sense for me now. Mm-hmm. Um, where last time it was just here's a whole lot of information with no emotion for me. Yeah. Because you know this isn't visiting old friends for me. This is just like, oh, you see that guy across the street? Well, here's five facts about him. Yeah. Great. <laughs> All right. So uh, I just, uh, I just didn't care. I didn't. Know. This one I felt was much better. Um, don't like the art. No, you're not into really the art. Like yeah. No, the art is uh, a little loose for me. Um, I think, and and I think it's a kind of a missed opportunity because I think a different artist, this story would have been a lot stronger yeah. with a different artist. But uh, I mean, it, it didn't it didn't ruin it. But uh, mm. 
eh, it's worth saying I, I didn't dig it so much. But uh, I think I like it more than you. But I agree that it's flat. And, and hmm. as we said before, this for a book of this of this price, four dollars, I would like to see a little more. And this wise. this is the uh, I mean this is the book like if anything from the Sandman universe imprint is going to get like the omnibus treatment or the evergreen treatment, uh, it's going to be the dreaming. Yeah. And I think I think it, there's a standard that needs to be kept. Uh, that that Evely had, and uh, this artist doesn't. Yeah, at least yet. That may be true, um, but luckily it was only two issues, so hopefully this is true. Maybe that, that is was true. also part of the thinking, which just like, <laughs> ah, you know, it's just these two. We'll bang it out. Get them um, out. Get them out. Now, uh, I'll tell you the thing I really didn't like about this issue is mm-hmm. the the. You know, spooky things that kept happening whenever Daniel had a hissy fit. They were a little you know, too, that's, little too indulgent almost, with that. You I know? almost thought that this was going to be a reintroduction of Doctor Destiny, right? Like that, like that twenty-four hours issue of Sandman from early, early in that run uh, with the diner. Uh, yeah, where, yeah. Where like just, just making people madness. do crazy so, things. Yeah. yeah. And and that's that that's the pangs that I got when I was seeing all that had come down. I'm like, I'm like, wow, we're gonna get Doctor D back here, but no, it wasn't. I mean, this this is sort of a running theme that like when the endless feel things and uh, it affects the real world. It reverberates. Uh, yeah. You know, whatever it is, so and so is crying, and that's why it's raining. And you know, but somebody gets mad, and then the volcano goes off. That's that's like usually the implication. And Daniel, uh, the dream, you know, Morpheus being sort of in control of the brain side of things does have a tendency to do this but boy I mean they went back to that well three times in this issue it was they like did. you're being a little indulgent with this like I got it you know what I mean I, <laughs> I get it wherever Daniel goes things are weird as hell bad things go down and man. you know here's, I mean here's a guy that's teleporting wherever the hell he wants uh, yeah no kidding it, you know <laughs> this is a this is a strange guy so I felt like they were getting a little too cute with that with that uh, stuff that went back to I the agree. well too many times I... in one issue uh but, you know, as much as I, I goofed on this, like, mystery woman at the end or whatever, I was intrigued by the idea that maybe this is, like, an Atlantean or something or some kind of weird, uh, not necessarily a connection to Aquaman, but a connection to that mythology, you know, mm. um, which I thought could be interesting. And you see, that I received that totally different because I assumed she's someone that I should have picked up on, and I didn't. Oh, I don't know who she is. Uh, so yeah, so we both received that different ways. You now, you if, saw if I'm wrong, you saw Ruben opportunity. Will let me know. Luckily, Ruben will tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, because you you saw an opportunity to to cross pollinate with the real DC universe, and yeah. I just thought this is just someone I should know if I was following uh, the Sandman series, now, I, I, and just I, didn't. I want to make it clear: I don't expect to see Aquaman or Mara show up in this book. Oh, sure just not. Yeah, some kind of you know they'll use the Atlantean library, something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they'll uh, they'll they'll hang out on the outskirts for some. But whatever's going to happen, we'll we'll find out. But I feel like that was a little something new that got inserted there. Uh, it probably is a callback that Ruben is going to tell me, uh, idiot, you forgot this whole book or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know, a running theme in the original Sandman, uh, it happens, and you see it happen in this issue uh, the whole time, is that these self-important gods or endless and even self-important people, these, uh, you know, magicians or people connected to the paranormal, are mm-hmm. always getting their comeuppance because they're always... Human at the end, they always have, sure. uh, you know, whatever, you know, guilt and envy and you know all the you know lust, all the all the things that are the downfall. Oh, seven of deadlies, yeah, exactly. So you know they they and and that's the thing that happens over and over. That happens to Rose here, where it's just like, you know, you're not you're not a victim of a mysterious world. You're keeping it that way because 
that's the only way you can keep yourself from feeling keep hurt. Going. Yeah. And uh, it happens to Daniel too, where he's just like, you know, just stop with your tantrum. Can't you know you you should know that the, your your girlfriend's being manipulated. So I, I enjoyed those parts as a Sandman mm-hmm. fan, especially. And a lot sure. of this again resonated heavily to me as a, a real Sandman book. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I said it when we first started this this series, and I'll say it now. You could pretty much end the original and pick this up and keep going. I it so far, it's virtually you know fairly there, seamless. There will have, they're fairly seamless. There will have been a you know. A, a little, passage, a little of passage of time in between sequels uh, or whatever, but uh, it really is. This this definitely feels the most like Sandman, and uh, I, I like what's going on in it. I like a lot of the implications of what these two issues did, uh, and I like Lucian, so mm-hmm. hopefully he comes now, back, did, he can talk. Did we get a good look at the sigil? No, we never get to okay, see the sigil, okay. and I think I that's didn't know I just missed it, and I was afraid to ask. So <laughs> you see a scene where he's wearing like a torn shirt, and you can see it sort of like or like a line or peaking, two, yeah. but you, you we don't get to see what it is. Uh, I bet we never do. I think you know the point is it doesn't really matter what it is; it's just something. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe we will. Maybe that'll become the fulcrum of the next arc. I'm always wrong, as you have found out. So, <laughs> well, we've uh, seen sigils in this imprint uh, a couple yeah. of times. So well, I just don't know if anything's coming together, or if there, if there's going to be. I, I, I would assume there's not going to be legitimate, your act, you know, actual crossovers anytime soon. But uh, again, I've been wrong too. So who yeah, knows? we'll see. I mean, who knows? Maybe <laughs> maybe we're folding this thing. There'll be crisis on infinite uh, dream rings, and it's uh... going to be it's going uh, to be since it's the dream ring, it's going to be warm milk wars. Oh no! There it is. No! <laughs> can't can we can we talk about something better, Chris? Come on! <laughs> oh man! Anyway, uh, what do you think you would give this in the alternate universe that you reviewed this on the site? I'd give it a seven point five. All right, that's a pretty. Robust uh, score right there. So, hmm. and and I think I think like you said, what what you said last episode really resonated with me. Where you were like, you know, you felt like you had been left out of something. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely could see that this, even armed with the little information you had about Desire, who shows Rose, you know, the conspiracy going on, was enough. You got, you know, yeah. you got the idea of what part that character, that role that character plays, even if you don't understand the breadth and depth of what what she and he is all about uh and i think they should play it more like that Uh, you know Mm -hmm. i think about something eric larson says a lot uh that you don't have to tell the reader everything about a character just what they need to read that story you know what i mean and you know i understand that that's a hard line to tell when you already know a character like what to say but that's why they pay you to do it. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> but I like this uh, a, a whole lot. Again, a lot of it tickled me as a Sandman fan. I gave this an 8 out of 10 on the site, and I Solid. felt pretty good about doing it. Uh, next week, I'm uh, not feeling too good about We have <laughs> most likely House of Whispers number 8. We just don't actually have it, but I have yes. no reason to think we won't have it, and we will talk about it, but that has been... Getting to be a grind, that old... Uh, a little old, bit of grind, yeah. The old boat has become waterlogged. Actually, that would be I, a good thing. I guarantee. Landlogged. Yes. There you go. <laughs> guarantee. <laughs> What's it? Do you guys pull out my Cajun accent for this show? No. I think we could do that. I don't think I... <laughs> no, no, I no. only use my Cajun accent when we have to do a Jamaican voice. You know that. Or, or Gambit. Or Gambit. Or our <laughs> Irish voice. Oh, God. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, that's, uh, I think that's it. That's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? No, it'll do it. Well, till next time, folks, I want you to keep it uh, dreamy. See ya. Sandman Universe segment on the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And today we've got a very whispery book, a kind of a mm-hmm. troubling book. In fact, the title of this issue is The Troubles I've Seen. The book is House of Whispers, number eight, written by Nalo Hopkinson and Dan Waters, illustrated by Dominique Domo Stanton, John Rauch, Isaac Goodhart, Aman K. Nahuel Pan, and Aneke. Mm-hmm. So let's get back into it. It picks up more or less from the last issue, I guess. Uh, Hector, this is that serial killer that was in jail. That he was possessed by Shakpana at the end of the last issue. Well, he's just, they, he's escaped from jail. We can say they've escaped from jail, uh, and now they're hiding out at Madame Lalori's haunted antebellum mansion. And that's not a Disney ride; that's an actual location. Uh, he's capturing ghosts at Shakpana's dire- direction because they're whining all the time. Uh, these are victims of Madame LaLaurie, who was a cruel slave master. She used to beat people mercilessly and even, like, perform experiments on them, sucking their brains through straws or something. This is the stuff that they're talking about, like, that they've experienced. Uh, Hector's done some bad stuff, too. While he was under Cotard's delusion, he thought he was dead and therefore was murdering people, thinking there was no, uh, you know, nothing bad would happen to him. Sure, but really, he has nothing on these ghosts. These these ghosts in their in their li- waking lives, the stuff they're describing, it's pretty brutal stuff. You know, am I right, Chris? I mean, it gets, oh yeah, it gets pretty gross. I'm not gonna. If you want to know exactly what it was? You can go back into it. Uh, anyway, that's why he's capturing them in bottles and painting the outside of the house to keep them trapped and quiet. Although they can still talk while trapped, so I don't know what what the deal is. <laughs> now, meanwhile, Madame is Ruli, Uncle Monday, the souls of Latoya and Mackie, the Wagoose, and the Corinthian, they're all sailing on a boat possessed by Azruli's husband, Agwe. You remember, it's got his face on it. That's right. Uh, they're on the way to meet the spider god slash elemental Ananis? Anans? I'm going to say Ananse. Ananse, who weaves a web made from stories. Now, the hope is that they that he can untangle Agwe from the boat and restore him to his usual fake Napoleon look. While on the boat, the Goose Man uh, finds out that Uncle Monday stole a couple of books from Lucian's library. We, we saw that a few issues back. Right. And these were books from dreams that were never written. Now, nearing Ananse's web, Uncle Uncle Monday touches one of the story bubbles and experiences an old tale. There's a tale about a leopard who walks as a man once a month. 
And before the story finishes, that leopard bites Uncle Monday. And I, I don't know whether I imagine. I, I think I've actually heard that story, Chris, like outside of comics. I don't, I don't, Maybe. I, I don't think it's a callback to an old comic, but I feel like I, I've heard a story like that, but maybe not. Uh, back over at Madame LaLaurie, Shakpana is getting bored, and uh, we know the feeling, Shakpana. Oh, boy, do we. <laughs> he decides to stir some things up by releasing Hector's own soul back into his body. Seems like that should push Shakpana out, right? That's what I, I would think one soul per body, but maybe whatever. You'd assume. Yeah. What do we know? Maybe you can stuff a body full of souls. <laughs> uh, when Hector gets his soul back, his conscience is restored. Now he feels guilty about having killed all those people that put him in jail. Uh, Shakpana also feels guilty for making a phony disease real and spreading it worldwide. And with that realization, folks, suddenly I was like, oh, that's yep. what happened. Like, I, I had no idea what really was going on, and that's what happened, and that's why Shakpana is dangerous. Uh, he decides to send all the souls back to where they belong now, you know, to reverse the curse, and all's well that ends well with that. Uh, back at Anansi's, uh Maggie and Latoya are being sucked back into their own bodies, but on the way out, they get caught in Anansi's web. An Anansi, a giant spider, shows up and says, she eats stories, not ghosts, or he, I'm not sure. Uh, Maggie and Latoya are then let go, so there's a little tension there for no reason, as we will see what happen again in this very issue. Uh, then Madame Azuli asks Anansi to unweave her husband from the boat, and Anansi says no. Mm. Anansi likes stories, and Azuli has a great story ahead of her, one in which she will experience highs and lows. She will leave the dreaming and return, and Anansi doesn't want to mess with a moment of it. Uncle Monday offers Anansi a book from Lucien's library. It's a story untold, of course. Uh, Anansi doesn't want stories that never were, though. Uh, then, as Ruli says, she's got loads of stories in her house of whispers. More than even Anansi, maybe. As Ruli suggests that they have a story battle. And if she wins, then Anansi will free Agwe. So, if she loses, then is Ruli will die? You know, it really it's, seems like a really lopsided agreement yeah. there, you know? And and I, I gotta wonder, what does Anansi care if his really dies? You know, doesn't... Right? Is it, is it there's no stakes to, in that for her. Yeah, yeah I, I, thought, I thought she wanted to see uh, this story unfold, so I don't really understand why that becomes such a dire thing, but whatever. <laughs> uh, back on Earth, Shakpana and Hector are sobbing. They're so remorseful over what they've done, and they wish to pay penance. The ghosts of the uh, Madame LaLaurie's house say they can help if freed, so Hector smashes the bottles that are holding their spirits, and they lead Hector with Shakpana inside of him to the attic of uh, the mansion. There they've stashed the ghost of Madame LaLaurie herself. They snatch her up before she could cross into the afterlife. Now normally the ghosts torture her out of vengeance, but this time they're going to let her do her torturous trade as usual, Nam namely torturing people, and that's how it ends, we can assume that uh, Hector and Shakpana are tortured for a while, if not indefinitely. Who knows if we'll ever see them again? I I feel like they've been shelved right here, Chris. But uh, I think it's it could be either way. But yeah, I could see them disappearing. We, I think I think we might have seen the uh, at least for the immediate the conclusion of them. Now, uh, before we jump into the book, I wanted I wanted to. Check out the solicit for this issue. Why don't you read that for them, Chris? Sure, sure. The original solicit reads, Unable to connect with the girls, as Ruli is sworn to protect, Maggie and Latoya align themselves with Shakpana in hopes that he can defeat his Ruli, whom they blame for their walking death, not realizing their misfortune is his gain. Now, if you remember, that sort of happened last issue. 
Sort of. Uh, remember, they had they had caught him in a Pokemon ball and, and released yeah. him in in that uh, thing. And, oh, and vaguely, that, that feels like it was a hundred years ago. Yeah, I think I believe that was last issue. I'm it probably positive. was. It probably and, was. And yeah. actually, Ruben told me that there was a scene in the issue before that where they had specifically caught him. So that we, we were we hadn't remembered that happening, but he said it did, and that's good enough for me. So <laughs> fair enough. Uh, but the, but the, but that seems like that's almost sort of what happened, as I recall. Shakpana kind of. Uh, as a matter of fact, he came out and Madame Azuli just left. That's what happened. Yes. Remember, she just fled back to the to left. the dreaming, and she took uh, Maggie and Latoya with her. So, whatever it is, this solicit is not is not what this issue is. Obviously, certainly not. Uh, something changed between the time of the writing of the solicit and the producing of this book. Also, the many finishing artists. Uh, Dominique Domo Stenton is the main artist, but these other mm-hmm. people, Isaac Goodhart, Aman K, Noah Helpen, and Anake, are listed as finishing artists. So this tells me potentially something changed radically. Sure. Uh, now, I think, Chris, it was for the better for this issue, because for the first time in three or four issues, I feel that I can I can explain everything that happened. Uh, Just about. Even, yeah. even though some of it is kind of, you know, obviously weird and ethereal, I understand it, you know what I mean? Like, all right, uh, I don't really understand why, uh, you know, the, why two souls could inhabit Hector's body, but I can let that go. Well, we could take their word for it. I, yeah. could, I could say, fine, that, that's, that's yeah. possible. That's the rules here, yeah. But I understand the, you know, the capturing of ghosts, and, you know, I understand this idea of visiting. You know, as I recall, they were going to visit Anansi partly to cure this Shakpana problem, but, but that yeah. kind of got pushed to the side and kind of kind of cured itself, didn't it? You know what I mean? It's it like, sure did. <laughs> it wrapped up awfully conveniently, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, <laughs> and also the, the two things in here, the, uh, you know, uh, Maggie and Latoya getting caught in Anansi's web, and then just letting get, getting let go. That just feels like out. Yeah. a wasted cliffhanger that might have fallen at the end of an issue or the different part in the story at one time. Uh, also, Uncle Monday with the book, that seemed like a great, Solution, but they just wiped that away too. It's true. Uh, all that to say, and I told you this, Chris, already. I think this is going to wrap up in twelve. Um, it feels like it, doesn't it? It feels like they just shifted the story. They just kicked it into possibly a final arc. Obviously, if numbers turn around, which is very rare for any comic, then sky's the limit. You know what I mean? If this this yeah. thing turns around and sells eighty thousand copies, then they'll <laughs> they'll print it till uh, you know whatever issue they can, but. If it keeps going on track, I don't see it going past 12 issues, and I really feel like this almost feels like uh, what happened with that, that second young animal. Remember, at the, like the third issue, everything, all those books just shifted gears, and it was like now we're, you know, careening to the end of the story, folks. Oh yeah, the, uh, the multiple storylines uh, con- converging into a single storyline, where with very contrived and convenient uh, happenings, where like we have that uh, that mother panic one, where we're going against the collective and Jason Todd, and oh wait, they're next door neighbors. Let's right. do it oh, at the go. same time. A lot of convenient. <laughs> that's right. A lot of convenient things happened. Plus, there was a story that just kind of got kicked. Kicked, swept away. I remember that. Yep. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So th- that's what this feels like to me. Um, but I had to give this higher marks than my previous issues because once again, I think at a basic storytelling level, it's better. It's it's the best issue we've seen in a few. Uh, hmm. Just as far as people explaining what they're doing and explaining some of their motivations for what's happening instead of just showing us a flying giant turtle. 
You know yeah, what I mean? Like need, the, the, <laughs> that's yeah. what, that's what we've been getting three so Wikipedia tabs open as you're reading it. That, that's a, that's that, a plus. We didn't need that at all, exactly. That that, yeah. that was big. And even though there are, you know, I don't know who Anansi the spider is, but they no. they told me enough to, to get an idea, you know? And sure. When Uncle we Monday, can assume. Yeah. When he touches a strand and relives a story, all right, we got we get the idea. Every strand is another story of that end. Sure. Stories bite, I guess, because some of them is <laughs> the other takeaway from that. So uh, I left, I mean, funnily, even though I left with the impression that this book is ending in four issues, or and I'm saying 12, obviously, because of the trade, the trade. collecting, but, you know, I, I think not long for this world. I think it's, a, it's issues are numbered. Uh, I ended up giving this a uh, 7 out of 10 just on a pure comic book level, which is Middle middle of the road, good. Average, yeah. Average, sure. but, you know, average leaning towards not too bad. Uh, what do you think of it, Chris? What do you think you would have given it? Well, before I go into it, I, I, I realize that we've never done a State of the Union for the Sandman universe. So uh, these numbers, uh, we, we really haven't discussed the numbers. It's and, true. Uh, and to be honest, I don't generally check numbers unless we're going to talk about them. So hearing uh, you, you you clued me in on some of the numbers this past week, and it shocked me that they yeah. were so low. Uh, I assumed that the Sandman Universe branding would have much higher cachet than our old uh, friends at Young Animal, and they would have be bolstered a little bit just by you know a brand loyalty. Perhaps. Yeah, I think the uh, dreaming is is the one that's getting the brunt of that. <laughs> for sure, for sure, but. Uh, for this issue, um, I don't know. I, I've I've read a lot of uh, textbooks that I'd uh, that I'd recommend for information, but not for entertainment. And this is something like that. We're getting answers, but it's just so dull. Yeah, it is. Uh, there, there's nothing to enjoy here. And I mean, and it's paying off stuff that we've been asking about for you know six, seven months now, which is you know thirty bucks. You're, you're absolutely right. There's there's that that it's too little, too late. Uh, and I and I hate that that's that's what like the brunt of my complaints have been for like the entire Sandman universe experiment has been like we're not getting enough for the money, and uh, that really shouldn't be what I'm complaining about. But it it just sort of is because it's we're just not getting enough story. We're not getting enough meat. We're not getting enough uh, clarity. To where, I mean, we could read this and be like, okay, it makes sense, but do I really want to go back and reread it to see how it makes sense? 30 bucks is a 500-page hardback novel. Sure. You know what I mean? So if you're talking Mm -hmm. about value, you know, you could read a complete— Or a Marvel Epics collection for 35. I mean, those are big, fat books. That's true. You're very right. Uh, You know, you could probably squeeze a couple of trades from DC into that that money if you pick the right ones. yeah, I mean, it's just too much money for not enough story. There, I'd say there were four issues that could be thrown out here uh, almost entirely, um, especially seeing how this thing wrapped up with Kotar's illusion really kind of lamely. Just and swept away. Just yeah. kind of like, all right, well, I mean, basically what they're saying is it, even if Madame Azuli had done nothing, it would have ended up this way. So uh, it just really, it, I don't really understand what the focus is for this book still. Uh, I don't expect great things from this book. I think we've gone too long uh, to this point without knowing what's going on. And yeah. uh, But as a singular issue, I thought that this was probably a great one that they can put in their portfolios and show that they know how to make some kind of comics. What would your <laughs> uh, Earth 2 score be on this one? 6-5. Uh, I think that's fair. You know, yeah. I, In my mind, I, it just felt like a 6-6-5 six, six, as far as my 
enjoyment, but I just felt like I had to bump it up just to recognize that we learned, we know things now. <laughs> we know stuff. Uh, we know a couple of things. It's like, oh, like I, it's like things that even I was like, oh, well, that that seems obvious, but uh, you know, it, it, it ha- having it laid out for you, that's important in storytelling. The telling sure. of the story is important. And, and in such an ethereal uh, imprint here, uh, the obvious isn't always the right answer. It's ne- you know the uh, what is that the what what is that? The Occam's razor isn't always in play in, I, in this sort of a thing. So just to have it actually spelt out to us is is a great thing. I think about so many other comics where there's a dungeon master type character that essentially narrates uh, an overall view. You know, like something you might see in Mike Grell's Warlord or a. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh god, nothing's jumping to mind. But this, this is all sure. somebody with the exposition to explain some of the base. This book really could have used that. Really could have used some somebody. someone to hold our hand, or, or even just like you know, these these books haven't done any backups. Uh, but I mean, we could have gotten like a two page backup at the end of these, just explaining a little bit of the the lore. Actually, which, it would have might have been fun to illustrate some of those old you know Cajun stories sure. and stuff, and, sure. and that would have been a really good way to do it. Or like, what what did they do with uh, that issue of Crisis on Infinite Earths, where like something there was like a a thing running on the bottom, the yes. uh, the monitor files were running on the bottom of every page for a little bit, showing like how Harbinger uh, had like had assembled everything and deduced all everything, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, something like that, just every every little bit, like if they mention Anansi. It's like, and then maybe at the bottom of the page, it's like, here's a little strip to tell us what Anansi is. And they can make it look fancy. They can make it look like it fits. It's, they just didn't. There are a lot, there are a lot of ways to do it. Or even another way to do it would be to make Latoya and Maggie also, uh, as far as, as far as we know, they don't know anything about Cajun culture, sure. right? You know what I mean? Like they, they, we could be learning right along with them. You know what I they mean? They could like be our POVs. Yeah. Uh, didn't they have little? Didn't one of them have a little? Two little sisters? What happened to those kids? But anyway, <laughs> never they, mind. They in on that guy in the shower, and then it wasn't really him. But oh, it was no. dad. But it wasn't something. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Dad, dad's probably beating their behinds right now. But uh, mm-hmm. we do have some amazing, shocking. Well, shocking to me, news at least. <laughs> Uh, DC Young Animal returns with two new series, more Doom Patrol and Mikey Way. This comes from ComicsBeat.com, and it's only excerpted. We got a couple of paragraphs, and we're going to read some solicits for these books that I think are all coming in July. Uh, Fans of the wild and strange rejoice. Today, DC Comics announced the return of Young Animal a pop-up imprint curated by Gerard Way. Originally launched in 2016, Young Animal went on hiatus about a year ago after producing four regular series and three miniseries. Beginning this July, however, the lights are turning back on at the circus as Young Animal births the continuation of Gerard Way and Nick Darrington's run on Doom Patrol, as well as two new series, Collapser and Far Sector. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we go into the solicit, I want to jump back about two weeks when I sent you a text. <laughs> I said, I had a dream that DC <laughs> relaunched Young Animal with two new books. It's true. He did. And he, son yeah. of a bitch, here we are. And I, and I was like, I was like, oh, don't, you know, I was like, don't. You said, don't you said you'd have to kill me if that came true. Put and the I, kibosh <laughs> on it. What are you doing? 
Oh, here we go. We're going to start with Doom Patrol colon Weight of the Worlds. Now, this is written by Gerard Way with Jeremy Lambert, which is a good sign, mm-hmm. uh, with art by James Harvey, followed by Doc Shana, Nick Patara, Becky Cloonan, and more. So it's going to have a rot- an ever-rotating mm-hmm. cast of artists. This series will debut July 3rd, 2019. The solicit reads, Gerard Way and the world's strangest superheroes return in an all-new series that takes them beyond the borders of time and space. The Doom Patrol will go on an epic road trip around the solar system, facing off against the unusual and bizarre, including the fanatical fitness fiends of planet Orbius and the Marathon Eternal. Big changes are coming for these unusual heroes, including Robot Man coming to terms with his new life as a human. Oh, right, I forgot he did turn into a human, so... Yeah, he was only human for like a page and a half at the end of uh, Milk Wars. Yeah, it was like that, 300 years ago, but yeah. That's right, so that that's a thing. And as, I, as I recall, he looked kind of like Homer Simpson, right? No, we <laughs> he was very, uh, very unimpressive specimen. Just kind of like a schmo, which I guess would make some sense. Sure. Uh, the other, another two new books, one of them is uh, Collapser, written by Mikey Way and Sean Simon. Art by Ilias Kyriazis. I apologize... Uh, profusely, I definitely got that wrong. <laughs> Series debuts July 17, 2019. Liam James is a wannabe DJ whose life goals are almost completely dashed by his crippling anxiety until a package arrives in the mail containing a black hole that gives him amazing powers and draws him into cosmic conflict far beyond anything he'd ever imagined. But Liam will discover that when it comes to life, love, mental health, and superhero responsibilities, there's no such thing as a quick fix, and that power comes with a cost. <sighs> okay. I, I, really, I have no real commentary on that. That could be no. a great series. It could suck. It, 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 no, no comment, really. Speaking of which, let's look at Far Sector. Uh, <laughs> written by N.K. Jemison, art by Jamal Campbell. The series debut... 2019. We don't know when. Now, the solicit reads, Newly chosen Green Lantern sojourner Joe Moline has been protecting the city enduring, a massive metropolis of 20 billion people for the past six months. The city has maintained peace for over 500 years by stripping its citizens of their ability to feel. As a result, violent crime is virtually unheard of and murder is non-existent. But that's all about the change. This new series produces a dizzying game of politics and philosophies as Joe discovers a <laughs> brewing revolution in the city, aided and abetted by some of its most powerful citizens. I mean, we like Green Lanterns. Yeah. We, we do yeah, like we the do. Green Lanterns. You know, we'll, we'll, always, always I'll reserve judgment on these things, especially mm-hmm. just seeing the solicit. As, as we proved today, doesn't mean you know what's in the issue at all. It's all so true. <laughs> all so true. Uh, but yeah, this this looks like this might be... Uh, another preachy, you know, kind of like uh, state of the world type thing, like uh, Eternity Girl, sort of. but yeah, maybe not. Maybe it's maybe, maybe it's, not. Maybe it's something terrific. And I don't know this artist, uh, Jamal Campbell, off the top of my head, nor uh, the sure. artist who I'm not going to try that name again, but that I messed no. up. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm always excited to see what they look like, and and the looks of them uh, could be a lot of the enjoyment. You know, a lot of what sure. I liked about Doom Patrol was Nick Darrington, who who. Went on to become now one of my you know favorite. I'm always watching what he's doing now. I'm always uh, yeah, checking he, out. He'll what stay he's on, on the uh, covers for Doom Patrol, so yeah, that's which good is which is cool. Uh, yeah, we, we talked about a little bit. We, he's busy right now. I, I think that uh, he's he's working with Bendis, and I think he's doing. Mm-hmm. I think he's doing another series coming up. Actually, maybe through, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, uh, Bendis's Wonder Books thing. 
Uh, so he doesn't have time. I have a feeling to do to wait around to do to wait do patrol <laughs> scripts. But uh, you know, it's and then the artist named Becky Cloonan I like. Uh, obviously, Doc Shaner. I love yeah. him, and I think he'd be great on this. Uh, Nick Patar. These are all great artists. So um, mm-hmm. that's there. I don't know mm-hmm. how Mikey Way writes. Not sure. Not sure. Not don't sure. know what to say about that. But as long as long as he actually does write, I think we'll be okay. He could be. He could be ahead of the game once he submits mm-hmm. his scripts on time. So of course, Chris, we will be covering that when it shows up. We're going to bring back the old young animal segment along so, with. So the the song was wrong. It's not once in every lifetime. It seems it like twice, several this. times in every lifetime. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully two times is a charm. I, I really don't want to keep coming back <laughs> no. to this, but. Uh, uh, yeah, going on hiatus. Imagine you had a company that you could just go on hiatus for a year. Like, what, what kind imagine? of a business model is that? <laughs> right? Like, you know, it's like, gee, I'd sure like to go on hiatus for a year. That'd be cool. Sure. Uh, but anyway, we will cover them along with the the Sandman Universe stuff for whatever mm-hmm. that shapes out into, however long that goes. We will be on the podcast covering all of it. So if you uh, missed that coverage, if you missed that song, It'll be coming back in just a few months. It's true. But we do have something for next week, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we're thinking that Lucifer number seven will be out. Uh, We can't say 100%, but like we always say, we don't have any reason to believe it won't be out. That's the right issue, right? That's It would be seven? Yes. We just finished the, uh, or finished what we would usually consider the first arc, yes. But it was weird. Yeah, it didn't really end like we expected it, but it was interesting. Uh, And Mm -hmm. we liked the last issue. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to read this next one finally. uh, Absolutely. See see where the story goes. But I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? No, that'll do it. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it uh, dreamy. And young and animalistic. <laughs> and animalistic, yeah. Look at Harry in the alley by the light switch. Who watches over you? Make a little birdhouse in your soul. Not to put too fine a point on it. Say I'm the only bee in your bonnet. Make a little birdhouse in your soul. Sandman Universe segment on the DCComics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we have a Satan 7 for you today. Mm, mm. Chris? This is Lucifer, number 7. The story is called A Slight Detour to Hell. It's by Dan Waters, Max and Sebastian Fiamara, Dave McKegg, and Steve Wands. And uh, if you remember how we left off last issue, that's exactly where we pick up this issue. We've got Lucifer and company emerging from Decker's motel room, and they have been descended upon by a cadre of angels. Uh, Caliban, who is Lucifer's son, comments how beautiful they are, which uh, Lucifer poo-poos pretty quickly. Now, the angels command Lucifer to bow, and they don't seem to be in the mood for small talk. They remind him and inform newcomers like myself that Lucifer abdicated his throne in hell so he could walk again on earth. They accuse him of blaspheming, mocking miracles, and attempting to write new gospels. 
Case in point, the resurrection of Sycorax. Now, they call this a perversion, though they are amiable to cut a bit of a deal. Since Jesus Christ was dead for three days before his Easter resurrection, they're going to allow Sycorax three days of life before taking her rightful place in hell or wherever she winds up. Yeah. Now, this is more than enough time for Sycorax, who she never asked to be born again anyway. Uh, Lucifer, however, is steadfast, and he claims that he will fix things. Yeah, well, extend that three days somehow. Uh, mm-hmm. I felt like this was this was pretty this part was pretty well told. Also, explaining a little bit about Lucifer and his place in this world and stuff. Uh, then that mushmouth girl, whose name we will learn in a bit, starts talking, and she talks a lot during this issue, and it's I'm a horrible, lot. yeah, yeah, a horrible pain to read. I, you know, I went over a few balloons, but at a certain point, I really just started skimming and hoped that I could pick it up in context. I just wasn't enjoying yeah. that at all. Uh, Stingy Jack takes offense to this. He slices her in the face with that moonlight blade that we keep forgetting all about. <laughs> a great big chunk of her face is sliced off, though she doesn't seem too bothered by it, and her voice doesn't get any better. Unfortunately. Uh, she even easily relieves him of that said moonlight blade. Lucifer remo- refers to the girl as Masakeen, and she hands over the blade. Turns out Lucifer forgot all about that thing, too. Mm-hmm. Now, Lucifer swipes the blade a few times, causing a door to appear in thin air. It's like he's cutting through the fabric of uh, space-time, I guess. I yeah. Now, he plans to take Stingy Jack down to hell and uh, maybe have a few words with the new folks in charge while he's there. Down in hell, which, gotta say, doesn't look like a, all that pleasant a place to be. It, it shouldn't uh, be, though, really. No, no, no. Uh, Lucifer drops Jack. And he is immediately eaten by a giant cloaked skeleton that emerges from a cliffside. They either emerge from a cliffside or it's just this giant row of uh, cloaked skeletons. Yeah, uh, it's so- not entirely clear. Something very ooky and spooky happens, we can say yes. that, but I'm not sure. Yes. Now, uh, Lucifer is greeted by the archangel Remiel, who wonders why Lucifer made the trip himself, because for such matters, he, usually Mazakin would do this. This is grunt work. Uh, now, Lucifer reveals that he's there too, in simple terms, ensure Sycorax gets special treatment down here. He is told in no uncertain terms that, uh-uh, that ain't gonna happen. Hmm. Uh, when Sycorax does arrive, she will be treated no different than any of the rest of Hell's servants. Back on Earth, Caliban takes Sycorax to Milan. Sycorax feels eyes upon them and is able to reveal that, yes, a whole bunch of angels are flying overhead watching them. Masakeen uses the Moonblade thing and cuts open a door to somewhere that the angels can't follow. And she might have explained that, but we couldn't understand it. No. So we uh, we don't know. We just, <laughs> we just watched the pretty pictures. Uh, we jump back to hell, where, po- where Lucifer ponders his next move. After watching a pair of worm people make a stew, he hears a familiar voice. That voice of William Blake, the writer of the Annulment of Heaven and Hell, or whatever the hell that book was. Now, Blake, who he had thought had perished inside the skull, is regaling some Hellions with uh, probably some very boring tales. Uh, Some of which we've actually seen, including that scene of Lucifer being stuffed into a pail and kicked down a flight of stairs. That was... All the way back in the first issue. That was the first issue, right? That was almost yep. like that was the Daffy Duck Lucifer. <laughs> yeah. uh, back on Earth, Bazakeen and company emerge on that island where Sycorax and Caliban had been exiled. Sycorax is not too pleased to be back there, but takes an opportunity to apologize to Caliban for abandoning him in the first place. Yes. Elsewhere, a celestial palm opens, and inside this open hand is the Cherub Diri. 
who heads to Earth, right? Now, he heads into the motel where uh, this is where Decker was, and uh, he finds a couple of men cleaning up after uh, Decker and Penny's brother. It's their mutilated corpses all over this uh, room. Mm. Uh, now, the men reveal themselves to be monsters, uh, kind of the, the kind of monsters we used to see at Gately House. Like, it looks like they almost unzip their flesh, and there's like a giant eyeball under where the yeah, head would yeah. be. Look, impossible, you know, beings. Certainly, under. certainly. Now, uh, Deary looks under the bed, and he finds a shovel that's been carved from the wood of the suicide forest. And he prints, he pricks himself on a splinter in the shovel, and uh, much to his surprise, begins to bleed. I don't know if this is a big deal, but he seems to think it was. Uh, we go back to the Exile Island, where Caliban reveals to Sycorax that he kept the figu- figurines that she carved for him. She seems pleased, and she makes a uh, telepathic or holographic call to Lucifer. <laughs> And uh, tells him to cool his jets on saving her because uh, she didn't want to be here in the first place. But she knows that he will not comply. Next, we see uh, we have Lucifer stood before the gates of Anubis. Uh, He's there to make a deal. And uh, he's even brought some gifts in the forms of the uh, decapitated heads of William Blake and a demon, a hellion, a hey, devil. Yeah. Anubis loves that stuff. That's a great I thing. I think so. <laughs> That's uh, on his Amazon wish list. I, I also like this This contact with Lucifer. It sort of reminded me of, like, Firestorm contacting yes. uh, the mm-hmm. doctor. Yeah. Uh, so... What'd you think of this, Chris? What would you what were you getting out of this? Um, maybe a little bit of a step down from last issue, but I liked it quite a bit uh, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned in the beginning here, we actually get a little bit of a uh, a little bit of newbie context on Lucifer here because, and I've said this before, but to me, he's he's just another John Constantine for the right. most part. It's, He's got a cigarette in his mouth. He's 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 got a dour look on his face. It's like, and he and he's a trickster. It's like ah, it's just a different version of Constantine. But now I know that uh, you know, he was in charge of hell and uh, he abdicated. So he abdicated so he could be uh, you know in the mundane mortal realm for whatever reason. I don't know what the reasons are yet, but I suppose I don't really need to to understand well, we'll where see. he came from. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I I thought this was pretty good. Yeah, it's uh, overall it's very good. It feels it's you know way way ahead from where it was three or four oh, issues boy. ago. Uh, it feels good to have to understand what's happening and to have all the characters working towards some kind of goal instead sure. of just kind of floundering around and wondering uh, what am I going to understand what's happening next. Uh, I thought this issue did have a couple of storytelling problems. Mm-hmm. Um, that that page you you talk about when they bring uh, Stingy Jack to hell and the skeletons kind of come out, yeah. And that, it's sort of meant to be very spooky and, and not, but it's it's a little it's too unclear to me for storytelling reasons. Uh, also, the the talking by Mazakine, oh. they they need to do better with that because it's just and I don't remember I, you know I, she was a character from the old Sandman. I don't remember it either. She didn't talk this much, or it wasn't this bad. But mm-hmm. I don't remember it annoying me that much. But uh, overall, you know, I, I think this series is kind of turning around, and it's becoming something that I look forward to instead of I look forward to getting <laughs> getting through. Let's say true, true. Uh, with you know, which is which is a nice feeling. Uh, I think that if in my alternate world, I would have given this a uh, I'm going to say a seven five, but you gave mm-hmm. it a. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Um, one of the things I enjoyed here is that it showed, uh, even though Lucifer is doing what he's doing for selfish uh, reasons, uh, yeah. for his own reasons, we should say, I guess, uh, it's still um, 
it's still he's doing it for someone else. So it feels kind of altruistic in a way. Yeah. Even though it's like you're, we're always wondering what the next step's going to be and when the, the next shoe's going to drop and, and when everything's going to fall in his favor because that's kind of what we've been we've been built to see now because yeah. we've seen him trick like the uh, the three witches. I mean, everything, it's a lot of like almost monkey paw-ish deals that he's doing where he ultimately will come out on top. So kind of wondering how that's going to work with helping Sycorax either ensure her place in hell or... Stay out of hell. You know, we don't know which one's going to be yet. So uh, I, I think that's pretty interesting, and that's uh, probably what's what I'm most excited to, to come back to see. It, it's interesting. It's almost like we could be seeing Lucifer uh, at a crossroads. Uh, you know, kind of like the devil <laughs> met me at the cross. But we, but uh, you know, because they do reference him making Faustian bargains, and he <laughs> is to this point, or at least to the point where he was trapped inside Sycorax's skull, uh, he was that trickster. Uh, yeah. It seems like he's not that now, or less that, but he still has room to trick us <laughs> yes. yet, Chris. Uh, so Indeed. <laughs> don't make a deal with old Scratch, is what my grandma no. said. My grandma never said that. Um, <laughs> what, do we got, what do we got from next week, Chris? We do have another book, and it is a book full of magic. Well, I don't oh. remember what number it is, but I'm, I'm assuming it's seven. I but... think it's eight. It, oh, no, it's seven. You're right. It should okay. be seven. <laughs> yeah, so we will have Books of Magic number seven. Um, I It feels like it's been three months since we read that, so I don't even remember where we were. Not really. Jeez, uh, I really can't remember. Oh, he, he and Dr. Rose were about to go... Somewhere they looked into a pot full of uh, a dish full of water. Right, right, right. So, that's yeah, right. That's, that's where they're going. But uh, yeah, that, 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 I guess uh, I guess that's what will be next week. Well, it, it kicks off something new, but it's always a chance to wake the series up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So far, it's been a little sleepy for us. But uh, <laughs> speaking of sleepy, you got anything else for him, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> no, I sure don't. Well, until next time, folks. I want you to make sure to keep it dreamy. See ya. Yo, today's just another one of those days I've had to admit it's not easy being J-Live. But bust this now, the topic to discuss is it's even harder sometimes just being justice. J-Live's just known to spin a record, spit a verse. Justice Allah's just God of the universe, which means a civilized, righteous, original man with knowledge of self and wisdom you can understand. Nothing less, nothing more, nothing holy, nothing pure, nothing gas, just steadfast and sure. When something comes up, something goes wrong, something gets done. If there's not a way, my will will make one. My plans are planets, grown and made from the beginning. But now my game plan's going into extra innings. But if it's a game, that means somebody's winning. And if it ain't me.